Welcome to a new episode for the FinTech Magazine podcast. Aaron Kaplan, co-CEO and founder at Prometheum, is our guest on the show today. Prometheum is a financial services company based on Wall Street in Manhattan, New York, which primarily focuses in creating an SEC-registered and regulated market for compliance security tokens. The company is a full-service market ecosystem for blockchain securities. This leads us on to the key theme of our conversation, to find out more about blockchain security and Aaron's insights into the fintech sector and his career background and how he focused on the practice of law and fintech, plus more. If you are new to Discovering Us, please follow our socials at fintechmag for the latest updates. Enjoy the episode. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today on the FinTech podcast. Um, You are obviously um, part of Prometheum, but we will find out more about you in a moment. But first of all, how are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I think we were just talking off the record for a moment, obviously the pleasure that is technology and how uh, challenging to say the least it is. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, I think particularly with the pandemic, we've been put in a situation where, um, tech has come to the forefront in sort of the services and the applications that we use and how we conduct our business and our everyday life. And uh, it might have happened anyway with sort of the uh, Amazonification of the world, if that's even a word, but I think it was uh, sped up seriously because of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like it's all just really meshed together and we've kind of just had to adapt and kind of put it in our favor I suppose um so I suppose uh with you know with this being said like I said you're from the company Prometheum but I think before I get into anything could you just actually just perhaps introduce yourself to some of our fintech listeners who would have heard of you before but obviously some of our new listeners to give a bit more of your career background um, of who you are and what it is that you do sure so I started uh in I'm originally a securities attorney And since 2013, I had focused my practice on the application of distributed ledger technology to the securities industry and the related regulatory issues. Uh, Initially, I got started in the space in, it was late 2013, early 2014. We wrote a no action letter, uh, me and my law firm uh, wrote a no action letter to the SEC asking for them to allow us to trade virtual currency uh, on an ATS, in a brokerage account. Now, this was before all the MSB stuff had happened and before the virtual currency exchanges were highly regulated. But at the time, I don't think the SEC really understood what was going on on the blockchain side, and they were getting familiar with virtual currency. Uh, but from then, I was in the space. Uh, myself and our CTO were, on, uh, were credited on one of the first um, uh, token framework, legal token frameworks uh, coming out of Harvard and MIT. And it was always our belief that tokens were securities. Uh, At the time, I thoroughly believed Ethereum was a security, and I guess I was sort of wrong on that one. But uh, at the same time, everything else really appeared to me as a security. When you're raising money, uh, you're you're issuing a security, and therefore the federal securities laws apply in the United States. So when the Dow report came out in July 2017, uh, we realized that we had the intellectual capacity from uh, the legal side and the regulatory side. Uh, We had history owning brokerage firms and clearing firms. And we had the knowledge of the, the crosshairs between distributed ledger technology and the securities industry. So we decided to launch Prometheum, uh, I believe in September 2017. And Prometheum is really building an uh, ecosystem that services the full life cycle of digital asset securities. That's from issuance to trading through clearance, settlement, and custody. And what really distinguishes us is we're really a public market infrastructure. So think about it as like a NASDAQ for digital assets. 
but we also do the post-trade side, which is, uh, you know, the clearance, settlement and custody uh, activities as well. So it's really a full service ecosystem. So I suppose with what you've just talked about there, obviously, thank you for giving more of a background of what Prometheum is. And, you know, you said you've been, uh, I suppose, starting since 2017. So already we're seeing you actually over the last few years, how you kind of successfully developed um, and innovated your side of things um, in regards to security. Um, I suppose just another thing for our listeners um, on a side note for, for them to find out, um, in regards to the thought of security with this, could you talk a bit about um, your personal background as a securities lawyer um, and obviously that coincided with you fa- uh, founding um, Prometheum? Sure. So, oh, well, so the term of securities lawyer is a bit nebulous. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be say that we were in the deep security side. So sometimes you'll have a corporate lawyer saying they're a securities lawyer. You're not a corporate lawyer, you make contracts. And corporate lawyers are very important, but it's just not what we do. Um, we focused on the SEC and FINRA matters, uh, you know, the clearing matters, the brokerage issues, ATS issues. Really what you were seeing that has become super important in the digital asset security space. And that's why we were able to leverage that expertise uh, when creating and building Prometheum. Not just that, uh, we were actually incubated out of our law firm, which was Gus Ray Kaplan Nussbaum, which is a Wall Street-based securities law firm uh, with, that's really focused its entire history on the deep securities matters that really what, of what we're dealing with today. And when you look at and you have, the, you have the understanding of the history of the securities industry, what you might be able to argue here is what you're seeing is the development in the digital asset security side or the digital asset universe of a national market system. Sort of what happened uh, when Reg NMS came out and you had different dark pools and ECNs and then uh, ATSs and exchanges coming together to create a national market system and sort of the system we have now. Now, I don't think we're so far along in that process right now, but it's definitely what's going to happen because you, A, don't want price disparities on different exchanges for the prices of uh, different virtual currencies or different asset securities. And B, as regulations coming in, what you're really going to see is that there's going to have to be uniform methodologies of these uh, different exchanges communicating with each other and different pricing mechanisms. And it's almost inevitable that you'll see a national market system develop for virtual currencies and digital asset securities as well. Aaron, I suppose, um, obviously, we want to dedicate part of this um, episode to talking about Prometheum. Um, and obviously, we're going to be talking more about obviously blockchain um, and kind of some other bits and pieces, which hopefully a lot of our listeners will enjoy today. Um, could you just explain for a moment um, what Prometheum is um, and what also it's building towards at the moment? And I suppose the reason why. It's a good question. Prometheum is complicated. <laughs> That's the easiest way to describe it. Um, Prometheum entails really three parts on the regulatory side on top of our own proprietary blockchain. That's a issuance platform, sort of an introducing broker dealer. That's one regulated component. Two, you have an alternative trading system. Um, that's an ATS. And three, you'll have a clearing and settlement component. Um, that's a clearing firm. And that's not really distinguished on the regulatory side yet, but it will be. And all of this is all blockchain native, meaning that the asset is, is issued on the blockchain, the trades are written to the blockchain, and they're reconciled against the settlement transactions that occur uh, at the clearing firm. So basically, what you're doing is streamlining the post-trade process, and you're having all your securities or your digital assets be blockchain native, 
which really uh, allows you to take advantages of the inherent capabilities of a blockchain, you know, record keeping, uh, streamlined process, all that stuff. And because you're a smart contract enabled network, you can really do a lot of the compliance functions through smart contracts. You can't do everything yet, but you could really eliminate the human component there. And most people aren't familiar with what happens after a trade is made, but there's a lot of breaks and a lot of human errors and not a lot, but enough that it makes a difference. And by having everything on chain, you eliminate that. Furthermore, when you look at what's happening with how the larger blockchain industry works, when something, when an asset's on chain to begin with, the best way to transact it and to process it is on chain. Uh, it's just the best way that different uh, elements of the distributed economy will interact and it leads to the most efficiency there. And I think it's really what, we'll, what a lot of exchanges will do in the future. So I suppose with, um, with what you've just said there, um, you know, just to have in, you know, as we're talking now, um, in regards to blockchain, how, how do you actually see it sort of growing, I suppose, in the next six to 12 months? I mean, this is just something which, you know, it's just maybe something to discuss at this moment in time, but where do you see it kind of moving forward? Uh, regretfully, I think the way that people will see blockchain growing is as the price of Bitcoin goes up. Um, they're not the same. Now, there's a correlation there, but it's not causation. There's no smart contracts on the Bitcoin network, really. Uh, it's, it's, it signifies growth in an industry, but it, it isn't the reason for that growth. Now, it might be that as the price of Bitcoin goes up, more people are interested. There's more investment, more parties get involved, and that will lead the industry to grow. But I don't think that's where a lot of the interesting stuff is going on. I think you see a lot of growth in the DeFi space. Um, DeFi, in my opinion, is gonna have some sort of rec similar reckoning to what happened with ICOs. What ends up happening is that the government has to regulate, particularly if you're mm -hmm. creating some sort of risk product or some financial risk product. Uh, it might not fit neatly into any existing box, but it doesn't mean that regulation won't come. Beyond that, I think you'll see a lot of growth in the actual digital asset security space. Uh, what you're seeing there is that regulations are being clarified in the different jurisdictions in the world, uh, whether that's the SFC in Hong Kong or the uh, FSA in Japan or the MAS in Singapore. Uh, uh -huh. There's a lot of stuff going on there and also in the United States. I really think in the next six months, we'll see that first public ATS, which we anticipate will be us. <laughs> But at the same time, uh, that will also change how uh, the exposure a lot of people have to the uh, virtual currency and digital asset security market. I think that particularly in that space, because that's where we focus, what you're going to see is uh, instead of people having to create new virtual currency accounts, they'll be able to invest direct. And it's not really virtual currency, digital asset accounts, let's say. Um, but they'll be able to invest directly from their brokerage account, which is a mechanism they're much more comfortable with. And actually what we've built is meant such that existing broker dealers can integrate directly into our system and allow their customers to trade from their existing accounts. Nobody wants to create a new account. You, have, you trust your brokerage firm unless, you, unless you're using certain uh, trading platforms that go out occasionally. Um, and you want to use your existing account and I understand it. And the way we've built Prometheum is to make sure that existing Wall Street can integrate and tie into it such that people can invest or trade from their, their current accounts, which we see as eliminating a main barrier to entry uh, for people who want to par participate in the digital asset security market. I think what, what you've just said there is quite significant that, 
it does seem to be a tendency for a lot of consumers or, you know, in the fact that when you are using something which is B2C, um, you do kind of want to stick to that current account or a current system or method that you've got, you know, people or consumers don't necessarily enjoy the thought of change, but having that sort of consistency of actually thinking, this is how I can keep it going. This is how I can sort of stick with what I've got and make it work. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, totally. I mean, again, uh, particularly in older generations with baby boomers who legitimately have the largest chunk of investable capital, they don't want to leave their existing account. And I understand that mm. they're comfortable with it. They understand the interfaces. They have relationships with it. They have uh, there's provenance there. Uh, so if you can just get access to investing in digital assets, virtual currencies through your existing account, it'll be really good. Uh, and it'll be making it much easier for people to just uh, sort of get an entree into the digital asset market. Um, I also think that another thing that you might see that might be a way that different people get exposure is on the ETF, ETP side. Because uh, I think that a lot of people feel comfortable owning ETFs because of historically what's happened there. And uh, having exposure to an underlying basket or a grouping or virtual currencies or with certain goals there, uh, I think are very interesting. Furthermore, uh, <laughs> there's a lot that once that happens, I think you'll see a lot more people have that exposure in their accounts to virtual currencies and the digital asset securities market. That's great. I think, to be honest, with what you've explained already is quite exciting to find out, you know, which, how things are going at the moment and how you actually are witnessing um, current processes in place. Um, I've obviously you've mentioned a bit about blockchain there at the moment and you have dipped into a bit of where things will be going moving forward. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about on that matter? Because obviously I think it just you've kind of explained sort of where you see the future of finance. But is there anything else that you want to comment on with that? The other thing I would say that's a major event that's started, there's started, they've already had validation going on there and that will be immense for the industry is the launch of ETH2. Now that might that won't happen in the next six months or so, six nine months. But once that happens, uh, the general implementation of blockchains on backends in different companies will be ubiquitous at that point, and the ability for the processing of of those transactions will be greatly increased on ETH two, and its uses will be greatly increased then too. So I think that will be massive for the industry. That's great. Um, thank you for that, Aaron. Um, could um, you just for a moment, we're going to just talk for a second, obviously, about, um, you know, digital banks um, and sort of the implications with that. Could you just first of all explain um, a bit of um, terminology, I suppose, of what um, OCC approval is? And with that, can you then expand on to um, the OCC approval of the first digital bank um, and the implications for the industry? Of course. So the OCC is the Office of Comptroller of Currency. And uh I believe that's what it stands for. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, I'm on the security side and this is the banking side. But, <laughs> but, but essentially what it will do is it'll allow, it's a big step forward because it'll allow um, sort of virtual currency related entities to provide banking type services. And it's a natural next step for the industry uh, to move from that trust model, that initial trust model, I believe it was either they, uh, with Anchorage, they were a Wyoming or a South Dakota trust initially. And then the next step there is to become that full banking component and being able to service uh, potentially not just institutions, but also retail clients as well. And it's very important, getting on more of a 10,000 foot view, it's very important because it'll lead to a plethora of mainstream related uh, 
blockchain services or digital asset services uh, that these banks will be able to do beyond just providing custody, which was what's being done currently as a, you know, uh, whether it's uh, Anchorage or Prime Trust is doing now. That's great. Thank you. Um, I suppose, you know, for a lot of our listeners with this, um, they will be fintech experts like yourself and obviously some people um, just wanting to find out more about what it is that we talk about today uh, today with blockchain um, and finance in general. Um, So I suppose another question I've got for you is, you know, the whole concept of tracking, um, you know, who is investing in the digital asset securities blockchain space? How is that something which um, either, I suppose, is monitored or what can you comment on um, with, uh, with how you can track the investing process? When you refer to tracking, are you referring to the uh, the record keeping of information related to the transactions attendant to that individual or that wallet? Or are you referring to the means by which you uh, determine who's investing in the space on a larger scale, whether it's institutions or uh, banks or stuff like that? I think I'd be curious to know, um, I suppose, your, your answer on both. If you, if you would be happy just to talk about um, each one, just to sort of talk about that in more detail. Sure. So in regards to tracking and who is participating in the space, I think what you'll see in the coming months is uh, the big banks step in. I believe that there was an announcement this week that one of the big banks was starting to do custody. I don't remember which one. Um, and I think you'll also see the American big banks start to uh, make plays in the space. Um, I think that where it's starting and in this, where you'll see it initially is on the custodian side. And after that, the next sort of natural progression there is probably to the ATS side. Um, the big bank slash brokerage firms is really what I'm referring to. They have the ability to sit on the sidelines until something becomes big enough that they want to participate and then come in in a strategic manner. And I think what you'll see in the coming months is that uh, strategic participation from those larger institutions. That's great. Thank you. Um, Aaron, I suppose, you know, at the moment I've asked my sort of key questions of information I wanted to find out today from you. But um, I suppose just some sort of questions to have off the side for a moment. You know, first of all, um, it's great to hear that the success is still happening with Prometheum, with especially how the last year has gone. Um, Do you feel at the moment that it is sort of quite happy to say that you are sort of surviving and thriving at the moment with how things are going currently in the fintech sector? I think Prometheum was uniquely situated. So our whole thesis was that the federal securities laws apply and need to be implemented in the digital asset space. And at the time uh, when, uh, you know, back in the day in 2017, when I was arguing everything was a security, people looked at me like I had two heads. Um, But the federal securities laws always prevail in some capacity. And uh, the industry has moved more towards where our thesis is. And it's really validated our approach there. And we feel... uh, Beyond, beyond feeling grateful for that, uh, we also feel like it, it's what needed to happen because you need to have investors protected. You need to have full disclosure rules. You need to have uh, fair and orderly markets in order for digital assets and virtual currencies to go mainstream. So uh, we're very grateful that the industry has sort of uh, seen the light in some capacity and Uh, We were very confident that that was what the regulators were going to choose all along, and that was going to be their approach. Uh, And it seems to be exactly what they're doing. 
furthermore, and this is a side note, but this is something important that I think investors and listeners uh, in the fintech space should understand is you're starting to see a conflation between um, securities regulation and virtual currency regulation in different industries, in different uh, jurisdictions. In Hong Kong now, the SFC approves virtual currency exchanges. They have, a, they have a basically a hands-on approach there. So it's basically coming under the purview of federal securities laws. I believe I saw something maybe out of Thailand too recently that was similar that was happening. Um, but And I think what you're starting to see is uh, the application at least of these uh, ideas in the federal in securities laws like fair and orderly markets, investor protections, investor disclosure being implemented in the digital asset and virtual currency space. You might even see... Uh, them come under the purview of that securities regulation in different jurisdictions. Now, I don't know if that's going to be exactly what you'll see in the United States, but I would argue that um, securities laws are meant to establish parameters whereby uh, people can participate and feel like they're not getting screwed. And uh, I, in my opinion, they provide the best model for that that's historically been uh, achieved and it's been achieved after, you know, uh, toiling away on different, you know, precedents and practices and best practices over the course of generations. So I think that that's a good thing. Uh, it won't necessarily be implemented in an intelligent fashion, but I think it's a really good thing for the industry as it seeks to move from what was first a niche industry and then move mm -hmm. into sort of a known industry is what we are now to really um, going where everybody wants into being mainstream and uh, part of the, you know, the existing financial system. So uh, I think we'll see a lot of really interesting things there, particularly as regulation starts to clarify. And also uh, we'll see the ability and the methodologies by which the industry will be able to really go mainstream. I think um, this, the next question I was going to ask you probably matches what, what you just said. So, uh, you know, feel free to just comment with any additional thoughts with this. Um, at the moment, you know, um, we are seeing how businesses, whether it's independently or um, as a collective, how they are sort of working things out to say in the last year or so with their mindset or if it's changed with anything and their adaption. Do you have any pieces of um, advice or thoughts for anyone listening that's either, you know, a business or a consumer? Just any advice um, going forward with the thoughts with regards to either blockchain security or um, fintech in general? I think this is a, a small thesis paper worth of uh, comments I would have here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what I would say is anytime you're dealing with digital assets, virtual currency or really anything in the fintech space, you need to understand where you sit in regards to what regulations you touch and what applies to you. And uh, I think historically what you saw in the space is people thought that regulation would hinder innovation. And a lot of people sort of got burnt by that. And it wasn't just the, the business, it wasn't just the founders and the entrepreneurs' faults. They were getting bad advice from some of the big white shoe law firms who were saying that tokens aren't securities. But um, I think one thing that's happened over the course of years now, of course, maybe even the last half decade, is that um, the regulators, particularly in my experience in the United States, have become very receptive. They're happy to talk to you. They want you to reach out. And you should really take advantage of that because you don't, I understand you want to push forward as an entrepreneur, as a founder, but you need to understand uh, your potential exposure. And you, sometimes you could actually integrate that exposure into some sort of benefit that can give you an advantage. So uh, my advice would be to 
understand what regulations you touch and work with the with the relevant regulators that are responsible for their for overseeing that regulation uh in before or while you're moving forward with your business because if you don't there's a uh a big risk that uh is needs to be dealt with at some point that's great i think that's a very positive mindset to have for if anyone really you know it seems to be um as a collective, a lot of businesses are kind of coming together or you are just seeing different entrepreneurs kind of really taking a step back to think about actually, is this the right process? Is this the right mindset to be having at the moment? And it's not necessarily asking for um, help, but having that moment to think, actually, let me just double check. Let me just make sure is this what I'm doing is right or if the time that I'm using for it is actually worth it. You know, with how we're feeling at the moment with how the last year's gone and what we're living in time does seem to be quite limited you know you've got to try and make the best of things so I think what what you've just said there is is perfect for um for anyone listening out really that's tuned into this episode um Aaron it's been an absolute pleasure is there anything else that um you'd like to talk about before um the other conversation comes to an end no I, I think that's good I, I anyone uh who's interested in the space I would recommend use the online resources and read as much as you can um Blockchain can sometimes be intimidating, but it's just a bunch of real world concepts integrated into some sort of technical onion. And if you remove the layers of that onion by learning about each one and then really understand how the jigsaw puzzle fits together, uh, you could really put yourself in an advantageous perspective because as uh, Mark Cuban said the other day, this is the new internet. And uh, there's really a lot of opportunities here and a lot of investment capital if you know what you're doing. That's great. I, I think I, I do like that whole sort of concept of it being kind of like you're peeling back an onion. Obviously, part of me for a second thinks of, you know, the mindset of it being Shrek and, you know, you're peeling back the onion of that. But that's just kind of on a separate note. Um, <laughs> so I'll see if that if that fits the uh, the edit of this podcast. Um, no, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Aaron. Um, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I wish you all the best with Prometheum. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me.